Psalms and turn with me, if you will, to Amos chapter number 4. Once again, Amos chapter 4 will be finishing up this what we started this morning. Got to my first two points, and so tonight I want to finish up and talk about these last two points. Amos chapter 4. When you found your place, if you're able, it stands beyond the reading of God's Word. In Amos chapter 4. We're going to begin reading with verse number 6. We left off with verse 5, so let's pick up with verse number 6 in our reading this evening. Amos chapter 4, verse number 6, and the word says, And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and want of bread in all your places. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And I also have withholden the rain from you, When there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew. And when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses. And I have made the stink of your camps to come up on your nostrils. Yet... Have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord? I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains, and createth the winds, and declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Pray with me. Father, once again, we thank you for this night. and Thank you so much, Lord, that we're able to come to your house, Lord, to worship. And Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, you strengthen us tonight. Lord, you equip us to do your ministry. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we hear the message from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we looked at uh, the first five verses of Amos chapter 4. And in these first five verses we talked about selfishness. And we talked about how uh, the people were were just being selfish. We talked about how uh, they were likened to cows that were just grazed in a pasture and just trampled on anything that got in their way of their food. And they they wanted nothing more than to just feed their own flesh and feed their own desires. And that's kind of the state of where we're at in America and in the church today. We have this tend to, uh, if it feels good, do it mentality. And so everybody is out for themselves. And even in the business world and in churches, we have people that will walk over other people to get to a status of high position. Why? Just so they can feed their own flesh and lust. And it got so bad to where God in this passage made that sarcastic invitation to where he invites him in verse number four to come to Bethel and transgress. 
And he talks about the worship that they would do. Uh, and, and they seemed to have their worship right. Um, they were doing what they were bringing their tithes after three years. They were uh, eating their uh, sacrifice in the Thanksgiving with leaven, proclaiming the and published the free offerings. And verse 5 it says, They were doing everything right. But because their heart wasn't right with God, and they were doing these in places of idolatry. That's what Bethel and Gilgal was. They were there were places set up for uh, not just worship of God, but they were set up for idolatrous worship. And so they were coming with the way that God had told them to come, but their hearts were not right with God. And how often times do people come into church and, and serve in the church week after week, day after day, year after year of their whole entire lives, thinking that because they're worshiping in a, a certain fashion that they think that they're right with God when they're coming and they might have everything done on the outside correctly, but on the inside is idolatry and selfishness and just the way that uh, knowing that they're not right with God or they don't know they're not right with God. They, they don't care really. They're just worried about what other people think and getting their tradition and their religion out of the way. And it's sad to say that's what worship has come to be for a lot of people. People don't come for a experience with the Almighty God. People don't come to uh, to hear a, a word from God that that would affect their lives forever. People grew up in church and they they've heard these things, and because they've heard these things their whole entire life, their heart has grown calloused, and their service has grown stale, and so they come just to get their weekly. Quote, worship out of the way. And really, that's what we see here as we pick up. This morning we looked at a provoking accusation in verse number 1 through 3. Then we had the sarcastic invitation in verses 4 through 5. And then in verses 6 through 11 we see now a devastating chastening or chastisement. What they are doing, they are being punished. They, they've been coming in week after week. They, they've been coming to, to worship at, at Bethel. And they've been coming to worship at, at Gilgal. Not knowing that they were really sinning as they entered into these places. Because their heart wasn't right with God. And what does God do with his people when their heart is not right with him? When they're actually sinning against him? What does he do? He does the same thing that you would do to your children when they're disobedient. And transgressing against your commandments. He chastises them. He punishes them. And so that's what we look at. And we see in verse number 6. Uh, he says, I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. And want of bread in all your places. What that speaks of is a, a famine. Uh, when you first see that, that phrase cleanness of teeth. It might be confusing. But basically he's saying... You don't have anything to get between your teeth, basically. And yeah, I, I could, I, I grew up uh, eating, you know, who, who loves fried chicken, amen? And uh, I can remember uh, sitting there and 
uh, we'd, you know, we'd scarf down our fried chicken and even and it, when it was done, I can remember seeing uh, my uncle would uh, sometimes take a, that, that wishbone or take some, some bone and, and he would use that to kind of dig between his teeth to, uh, to, get that, to get that meat out, use it as a toothpick. Well, he's saying, look, he, sa- he says, you don't have anything to get stuck between your teeth. He says, I've taken everything away that you could possibly eat. There's a famine in the land. There's no food left. He says, I've done this. I've given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. And he says, I want to bread in your palaces, yet have you not returned unto me. And that's a recurring phrase. You saw it several times here in this passage. In verse number 6, yet have you not returned unto me. In verse number 7, he says, and I also have withholden the rain from you. And when there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered into one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. In other words, he, he's saying that it rained over here, but it didn't rain over there. He said where it did rain, he said it withered. Or where it didn't rain, it withered away. Speaking of a drought, the people were, were thirsty and they were anxious to get some, some water. And so they, they wandered from city to city looking for water. If you've ever had a job where you where you work outside for hours on end, especially in this hot South Mississippi heat, you know what it's like to be extremely thirsty. Even the rich man in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, as he was in flames and torments, he, he desperately wanted just a drop of water on his tongue. These people... We're experiencing hell on earth, just looking for a drop of water on their tongue. God had caused a famine. He had caused a drought. And look what it says in verse number eight. He says, yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. But then also it goes a little bit further. And he says, I have smitten you with blasting. And mildew, when you, your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, that blasting of mildew speaks of the uh, crop failure, just rottening away. And of course, because there was no water, of course, they're just going to dry up. He says they, they're blasting a mildew. He, then he even says where it did increase, he says the palmer worm devoured them. Their crops failed. But he says, yet have you not returned unto me. Verse number 10. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. What's the pestilence? He says, your young men have I slain with the sword and I've taken away your horses. I believe he's referencing when uh, Egypt had the firstborn taken away. And all the, all the young men, the firstborn died. And so he says, just like Egypt, just like they lost all those people then, he says, I've done this to you. 
He says, I, he says I've, I've caused an army to come. He says, I've slain them with a sword. This is perhaps a reference to uh, Syria coming in, a story from 2 Kings 13, coming in and just wiping out the people. He says, I've taken away your young men. I've taken away your horses. He says, I've made the stink of your camps to come on your nostrils. In other words, he's saying, I've killed so many people. He says, that, that I've, that by other countries... To show you your sin. He says it's gotten so bad. Your camp is stinking. And you recognize it. You recognize it. That there's something going on. That, that you are facing judgment. You know that there's something going on. He says yet you have not returned unto me. Verse 11. I have overthrown some of you. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. He says yet. You were, or you were as a firebrand plucked of the burning. He's speaking to that remnant that's left over. He says that he says I overthrew some of you like Sodom and Gomorrah. He said what's left of you, he says you were just plucked like like a uh, piece of trash might get plucked out of the fire. He says I spared you. You saw all that devastation come upon surrounding you. But he says, yet you have not returned unto me. Couldn't that be said of a lot of people that we might know that are professing Christians? That though they may have had their, their worship right at one point. But because they regarded sin in their heart and they refused to repent of that. They, they lived their life the way they wanted to live Monday through Saturday. But on Sunday they would come to church. But the rest of the week there was no evidence that they were ever born again. And because of that God would chastise them. I know people that have been in car accidents. Families falling apart. Losing their jobs and loved ones. And it could have all been because they would refuse to give up the life that they were living. You see, when we look at this, these verses 6 through 11, we look and we see God doing all these things. Sending the famine, sending the drought, sending the, the crop failure, sending the, uh, the armies to take over. And some people would look at that and say, why is God being so mean? They might look at that and they say, that is just, I could not serve a God like that. But really what we see here is we see a loving God chastening his children. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6, for whom, the Lord, for whom the Lord loves, them he also chastens. And that's what we see here. We see God dealing with his people. Dealing with the nation of Israel saying, come back to me. In other words, he's doing everything he can. He's taking away everything that they can be proud of. 
He's taken away everything that they could boast in. Everything that they think could, could give them strength. And he wipes it all away. With a simple message of come to me. Come back to God. Repent. But in all of this. Their heart is hardened. And they refuse to come to God. We see the exhaustless love of God. That he will stop at nothing to call his children to repentance. To call his children back to him. We see it over and over and over again. He says, I've done this, yet you have not returned to me. The reason for this chastening is so that they would turn back to God. You know, whenever I'm experiencing hard times, trials, difficulties in life, one of the things I'm, I, I often pray is, Lord, is there some sin that I need to repent of to come back to you? Now let's apply that to your life. Are you experiencing hard times? You feel like the world is come crumbling down on you and you feel like God might be far away from you? I would say examine your life. Examine your life and see, is there something God is trying to tell me? Is there some way that I'm, I'm regarding sin and regarding iniquity that I'm refusing to repent that I might not see right offhand? And so you, get, you need to get down on your knees and, and pray and cry out to God, Lord God, show me what I'm missing. This is a devastating chastisement that they're enduring. Because God in His love and His mercy... Is calling them to himself. Saying come back to me. Because when it comes to chastisement. And punishment. Even. People. Dying. As it says in verse 10. The Bible is clear. God doesn't take. Joy. In these things. He says, I don't take joy in the death of the wicked. If he doesn't take joy in that, then so much more he doesn't take joy in the death. Because he has to chastise men. Because he has to chastise his people. So in verses 6 through 11, we see a loving father punishing his children to get them back. On the right path. But chance after chance has been given to them. Time and time again they've been called to repentance. To return back to God. And eventually God has to say I've had enough. And so we go now from a devastating chastening 
to finally we see a frightening command in verse number 12. He says, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, he says, Prepare to meet thy God. To one that is living in sin, to one that is not regarding the commands of God, this has got to be a frightening command. Prepare to meet thy God. I'm not sure as to exactly how he's going to meet them. I don't know if this is referring to, to them coming before the judgment seat of God and and them standing before him in judgment and him saying, uh, maybe depart from me, you that work iniquity. Or, or maybe standing before him uh, say, and, and him saying, uh, here's your rewards and here's what's being taken away from you. But I do know this. These people have sin that they refuse to repent of. They have idolatry, selfishness, false worship. They have all these things that when they stand before God, they're going to have to give an account for. So once again, in verse number 12, I believe we see a a frightening command, but also this could also be uh, a loving way of God saying, look, judgments, more judgments coming, an even worse judgment. Prepare to meet me. Prepare to come face to face with me. In other words, make yourself ready. Be prepared. Say, how could you be prepared? To meet God by repentance of your sin and turning to God in faith. He reminds them just of who he is in verse number 13. He says, For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the winds and declareth unto man what is his thought. In other words, he can tell you just what you're thinking. That maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. He's reminding the children of Israel, you're not just meeting some idol that has been set up at Bethel and Gilgal. You're not just meeting some, some uh, Egyptian god that they worship uh, along with a bunch of other gods. He's saying, I am telling you, you are preparing and need to prepare to meet the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The God that can see to the very heart of mankind. You can fool anybody. That, he said, he, he can declare unto man what is his thought. In other words, you can fool other people. You can make other people think that you've got everything right. You make other people think and believe that, that you're this perfect person. 
He says, but God can see your very thoughts. He knows the exact reasons why you're doing what you're doing. And so he says, this is the God that I am, that I am declaring that you prepare to meet. Get your heart right with God or you will face the eternal consequences that lay before you. Start off with selfishness in verse number one. Not having a care in the world, grazing and stepping on people and crushing people to to get just what they wanted. Then it moved that selfishness then we saw moved on into their worship. And they were going to Bethel. They were going to Gilgal. Why? Because Bethel and Gilgal was a little bit closer to them than Jerusalem, the true place of worship. That was the reason uh, Jeroboam set up those places, was for convenience. So they had everything right, but yet their heart was still not right with God. And so it moved from selfishness. And their uh, self-idolatry had moved into uh, their worship. And then it even moved on. That the selfishness moved on into their thoughts of uh, concerning this judgment. You often think, why? When people see these things happening around them. When they have these things happening to them, why can they not see that God is trying to tell them something? Why don't they just turn to God? A lot of it has to do with the heart and then the mind. Maybe even wishful thinking, some might say. Well, it won't be too much longer and all this will be over with. We just can need to wade it through. So that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to just wade out these horrible devastations that were coming upon them. But in the end, God tells them, I've done this all to get you to come back to me now. Prepare to meet thy God. You refuse to hear the preaching of the word. You refuse to acknowledge the chastening hand that I have upon you. Now, you're going to stand before me. And we're going to be face to face. And you at this point will have to give an account for what you've done. Prepare to meet thy God. You see how selfishness and being a selfish person works its way into all parts of your life? They couldn't even worship properly because of the selfishness they had. They couldn't even acknowledge the uh, works of God chastening them because of their selfishness that they had. 
Matthew chapter 25. I believe it goes so well with talking about selfishness. Matthew chapter 25. Verse number 31. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and uh, took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king answered, or the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in naked, and ye clothed me not sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it not, to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. Then these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. And it's sad to say that that is a state that a lot of church members are going to find themselves in. They were so selfish, so self-indulgent, that they cared not about God or serving others. But the example that we're given is that we are to serve others. In John chapter 13, Verse number four, he riseth, being Jesus, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And he that poureth, and that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou, uh, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, what I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, 
thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean everywhere, or every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. And he knew uh, who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garment, and was set down, he said unto them, Know you what I have done to you? He says, You call me Master and Lord, and uh, and ye say well, for so am I. Then, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So what's the example? Service. Serving each other. One of the most humbling and humiliating things somebody could do at this point in history was to wash another person's feet. All the traveling, all the walking and wearing just some sandals, mud and other stuff getting smushed under their feet and caked on there and to sit down and kneel at their feet and take the water and wash all that nasty, disgusting stuff off was one of the most humiliating things one could do. It was most it was the lowest form of service someone could do. And Jesus said, I've taken part and I've done the lowest form of service by washing your feet. He says, So should you. You're not greater than I am. May we be a people that recognize that we don't serve ourselves, but we serve a living God. And this same God came down to earth in the form of Christ and lowered himself enough to wash his disciples' feet and then was humble enough to go to the cross for a stiff-necked people. That's who we are. And we should look to Christ for the example of how we should behave in selflessness and not selfishness. Let's stand to our feet as we have our final hymn. Pray with me. Thank you for joining us for our broadcast. I hope you'll join us again next time with Rick Clark Ministries.